0: Listening to Noise Extra. And today we have an unearthed conversation from a few years ago. When we were in New York for the Hospital Fest, we interviewed Anthony DeFranco of Ramla, JFK, so much more. And it's one of those interviews that just slipped through the cracks. And with his. Tape Archives 86 to 88 release on Lies. We thought now would be an appropriate time to put this unreleased conversation out. Fell in between the couch cushions, in between the cracks, but we have saved it, dusted it off, now sending it out into the world in honor of the JFK Tape Archives release, as well as this fascinating conversation with Anthony DeFranco. The patrons will be getting about 20 minutes of extra conversation littered throughout the episode. So make sure to listen through the Patreon feed to get the entire conversation. And when we did this interview, it was in our hotel room where we had done multiple interviews in that day. So. It was less formal with an intro, hence why I'm recording this intro for you right now. But we just sort of hit record, so the conversation is just going to start, and we're going to let it go. So, without further ado, in conversation with Anthony
1: DeFranco. When Gary was doing Broken Flag, it was was kind of running it as a kind of a, you know, it was like a semi professional thing, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, well, it was good.
2: I kind of think, in you know, back, you know, there was really no precedent. You know, there was Broken Flag and mm-hmm. Cumorg and 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 mm-hmm. industrial, and mm-hmm. but it was the beginning. You know, and and you know, obviously Zizifu and stuff. But there was this was the beginning. I mean, this was mm-hmm. this was how here we are today but that was yeah that was in its infant stages yeah. of how like, these things are going to be run
1: well you know? that's right. like, I, I kind of wasn't around for the start of it because i'm uh, you know i was a bit too young well yeah basically i wasn't around at the start of it but when i got in touch with gary kind of in the early days when i started tape trading stuff when about uh 86 i guess I was about 14 mm-hmm. um i wasn't aware of the backstory but basically i um hooked up with gary through um so what happened was I started getting into DIY punk fanzines. So I started listening to stuff like Crass uh, as well as TG and um, other kind of associated stuff at the time. So mm-hmm. the anarcho-punk stuff was kind of bubbling under. Um, and there were lots of DIY punk fanzines around at the time. And we kind of tapped into that network, me and some friends, and there were some links in there to there was some kind of crossover between anarcho-punk and industrial noise, kind of like the remnants of that scene you were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So that scene kind of peaked about 82, 83. By 84, it died off. and But there were kind of little bits, little remnants, little pockets of it carrying on mm-hmm. in the UK. Um, But very, the guys who were active, people like Mike Dando, they were still going. Yeah. They were still pumping out stuff. And the Grey Wolves guys, so like yeah. Trev Ward. So Trev Ward was a... An early contact, and it was through him that I got my first Ramley cassette, and it had Gary's address in it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. classic style. You know, I listened to the tape and thought, "Fucking hell, this is far better than mm-hmm. you know all the other stuff I've <laughs> heard." Yeah. And um, do you remember which one? Uh, yeah, well, it was a. <laughs> it was. I think it's kind of. Like, don't think, I'm not sure it was a bootleg. I, I, I think it was kind of semi-official. Mm-hmm. It was like nails of christ on one side mm-hmm. uh which is like trev ward's solo projects and kind of like a best of Ramley on the other side so it had like fistfuck phenol drancy mm. emaciator so it was a great it was, it was like a 30 minute a classic kind of 30 minute side of wow, it was heavy but it was like you know like the cream of the crop mm. and I, I don't know the story but i don't know if gary selected the tracks or it was just like you know trev kind of uh, doing a semi-official boot but it, it had Gary's address in Croydon on there, so I wrote off to Gary and I was kind of starting to do tapes and I sent him some stuff and he uh, he liked it and then we kind of started working and we're still working together. Yeah. <laughs> <30 years laughs> so, so, so it's amazing how those you know those initial contacts, yeah, you know, have well you know life changing consequences. But um yeah, that, that was a kind of really early days, you know. Mm. But like you say, there was there was a a burst of activity in the early eighties and it kind of was was really really low level by the kind of mid mm-hmm. mid to late, age. and that's when you
2: really started.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's when I that's when I <laughs> kind of started getting involved in stuff. First project, yeah. Ethic Acid was an early project. Everything kind of changed for me around about eighty four. So Ethic Acid started out uh, when I was at school. Um, I had a group of friends at school, and we used to make up bands. We used to make up imaginary bands, and that's uh, a fun game. Yeah, that's right. We used, to, we used to, And we used to record tapes, and we used to record them on, and in those days, if you had, like, a personal computer, you'd get these little 15-minute cassettes that you would record computer programs on. I don't know if you remember. You're oh, yeah. probably not mm-hmm. old enough to remember right? Hey. So we used to record these little, I shitloads of these 15-minute tapes, and we'd record mm-hmm. just stuff around, you know, at home, stuff like that. So I started Ethnic Acid. The name came up at random because there was a bottle of, acid in the science lab called ethanoic acid mm-hmm. and someone thought oh ethanoic acid you know it's a play on words and um i started using the name recorded like the first off I recorded probably about 85 and then um and then i started getting more ambitious and more obsessed with recording so i started off with like you know those old mono uh Radio cassette recorders used to get. We had a radio and like a, a, a tape deck mm-hmm. in there. I had two of those, and I'd record stuff on one, then uh, record on another, play the stuff I just recorded, <laughs> and dub on top. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure, I'm sure that lots of people and doing the same do the quality yeah. got worse and worse <laughs> as, you, yeah. as you know as, as, you, as you went on. Um. So then I kind of like moved to a kind of like a larger tape deck. I was, basically I used my parents' tape deck and sort mm. of start start looking around on that. But the uh, but the real change for me was um, well, I got a four track, so I uh, I, I kind of inherited some money. My uh, uh, my grand had been kind of putting aside some money for me for my sixteenth birthday, and she decided to give it to me when I was fifteen instead. All right, it's um, a cool grand. Yeah, and it was about like about two hundred and fifty quid, and that was just enough to get a Foxex X fifteen. Oh, yeah. And that changed everything, really. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, but going back to Gary and Broken Flags, so Gary had a really good mail order list, and he sold really interesting records. I mean, it, um, it was kind of a bit better than your average because he would sell stuff like, you know, Conrad Schnitzler or Barbada Magus, Giancarlo Tony and his stuff, he had some, yeah. it was well well curated, his list was very well curated, so he could get hands on good stuff. And he also put out vinyl as well, which, you know, showed a bit of a commitment to kind of uh, doing something in a, in a quality format as opposed mm. to just pumping out tapes. So you could tell that Broken Flag was a cut above, you know, the average you know, oh, like
2: absolutely! Label, yeah, you know? and just mm-hmm. the design and everything was it, very yeah the presentation.
1: It it, it, was, it was clearly well thought out and it had, had quality. You yeah.
3: Know? It was, it was, yeah, it's uh it's funny you mentioned getting the four track and such because a lot of yeah. the things we kind of know about the early UK scene is like uh, recording in the studio is you know like. Uh, Dave earlier said that Smell and Quinn was was like it would go into the studio to record right in, in the proper studio. Yeah,
2: it's something so interesting to us because we're so we came up mm. with purely the home recording to tape. Mm. But yeah, I mean, but everybody a lot had the, the same
4: four track. But it you does know? seem yeah, yeah. that yeah.
2: a lot of the UK yeah. and and European artists, especially in the 80s and even the 90s, did record this record their stuff in a studio. I yeah. mean, I think some of that early Ramblin stuff is in a studio. If I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd have. To, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, talk, yeah. talk about the really early stuff. Yeah, yeah, Gary did record. Well, it's just so funny to think about. He recorded like the albums. I think you'd, you'd have to answer. Yeah, of course, sure. of course. The, the, the uh, what counted for the albums, like the vinyl releases. Yeah. he went into IPS to do. Right, but the the tape releases, you know, like the classical yeah. they were all done at home. Okay, like, kind yeah, of on a yeah. two track. I don't think he even had a four track. I think it was all done on like a two oh, track. Wow, you know, wow. where you kind of you know had two sockets and a yeah. band left and right. You know. <laughs> yeah Uh, which, you know, has quite a good effect. Oh, absolutely. everything being hard-panned, of course, just, you know, you immediately get that that kind of width of sound, which kind of can sound really exciting. Um, So, yeah, but the the four-track for me was really revolutionary because I could those X-15s had this kind of weird kind of noise reduction and compression in it, Mm -hmm. which made everything sound good. Yeah. Um, Not all the four-tracks had that, but the X-15 meant you could basically crank up the... The input signal, and if you're recording this kind of stuff, I was doing it just sounded great. So that immediately kind of just got me thinking. Wow, this sounds this sounds really cool. And then once once you once you think it mm. sounds good, then that kind of inspires you to do more stuff. So I was getting more and more far out in the kind of stuff I was recording. Yeah, and the stuff I was sending Gary to release, and it just kind of kind of went from there. But then transitioning into recording studio, it was almost. Slightly disappointing at first because the the sound it, it took more effort to get the kind of sound that I would have wanted. Right. Because the four track kind of was a bit more instantaneous. Um and recording with the band in the studio. is a different thing altogether.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, I'm sure. So, so was that the first time you were doing the studio when you were in the band stuff?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, so my, Yeah. yeah and your
2: you were your time in Ramla. Were you when you were started? Was it when it was the band or did you were you in it? when it was still kind of the
1: noise. Power no, 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 you, I, I wasn't in it when it was, no. So I I can't remember the exact timeline. No, it's fine. I, um, I first started playing the Rambler in 1992. Okay. So it was the band. It was the yeah, band. It was right? the band. Yeah. yeah. So basically mm-hmm. that's when it, uh, when it was, it started off with Gary. Well, it started off with Gary and some other guys in the early eighties. He knocked it on the head in 84, did hole in the heart in 87, which is mm. kind of him on his own. Yeah. You know some tapes from 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 outside sources. That's a
3: fantastic record. If any of our listeners haven't heard it, "Whole Heart" is is a 20, yeah, really yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I it's, love uh, that to,
1: title too. to be honest with me, but that was that was one of the ones that really hooked me into working with Gary because um, you know uh, you know I, was, I thought it was absolutely fantastic stuff. And then in '92, I hooked up with them because we were playing. Me and Stuart Dennison were playing in Skullflower. And we were playing some gigs together with Ramly. And obviously at that point it was just Gary and Philip and they wanted a rhythm section. Mm. So me and Stuart joined the band and we started recording stuff in the studio and, um, yeah, it kind of took off from there. And, uh, yeah, so we did some stuff throughout the nineties and well, then the history kind of morphs and changes yeah about. yeah
0: i, I love i love those 90s
2: i
1: love the i love both eras of ram i love those 90s records um that's great I, yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. i mean some people some people either like the really early noise stuff and they really hate the rock stuff but i think nowadays people are more likely to to like both. That was yeah, one of the cool things
3: it. about uh, the, the, you know, we played a show together a couple of years ago and you guys did uh, one night of like rock oriented stuff and one night of pure noise. Mm. And it was, it was such a cool thing. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I see mean, both sides of it, like back to back like that.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's, it's sometimes a struggle for us to kind of accommodate both, huh. but um it, it, that both are part of uh, a kind of essential part of the group. Uh, yeah. So recording on the four track. So, um, in the early days of recording on the 4-Track I had two separate projects so they, I an idea for two separate projects I had mm-hmm. Ethnic Acid and JFK so JFK mm-hmm. was basically started off as a garage band so it started off with me and a friend guy who lived over the road playing in my mum and dad's garage he had like a 606 drum machine so we just kind of went in there and just recorded on an old mono tape deck mm-hmm. and we just kind of like did stuff it was kind of like trashy guitar noise with a drum machine with those 606 going mm-hmm. uh, uh going in the background mm-hmm. um and then once i got the four track all of a sudden that opened up the possibility so i was still using the drum machine using guitars and just layering on kind of um well whatever i whatever i could get my hands on really mm-hmm. lots of found sounds i'd kind of use what take the washing machine I go in my, you find my dad's tools in the garage, you'd use kind of drills and things like that, mm-hmm. solid mixers, you know, stuff like that, I Might I make might, like stuff like that. Awesome. And, you know, kind of like meld it all together into some kind of, uh, you know, in, 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 and make tracks out of it. Ethnic acid was meant to be less rock and more kind of like noise, mm-hmm. but I wasn't necessarily thinking about power electronics because I wasn't really aware of power electronics as such. It was more kind of like, um, uh, no rhythm mm-hmm. or very little rhythm and kind of weird kind of, uh, you know, what I call, I guess, what did I used to call it? I used to call it psychedelic noise. When I, when I used to, <laughs> when I used to put out flyers advertising my tapes, I used to call it psychedelic noise. Um, and yes, yeah, so I kind of had two strands though, as I was working with, but both used guitars, but one was more rock and one was less so. Mm. So, that was kind of that was kind of in my mind for me from the beginning so what we've kind of ended up with Rambly is kind of kind of reflects that and i think it's the same with gary as well and i think that's one of the reasons we we kind of found we were able to work together was we have that kind of dual approach yeah we're kind of like both yeah and kind of one informs the other In many ways, because you you learn stuff from doing one that you can then bring into the other. And I think we find that a lot doing the two versions of the band nowadays. Because um, when you're playing a noise set without the drums, you have to work it in different ways to keep it interesting, you know, musically. Um, And if you're playing deconstructed rock with a drummer, you can kind of bring that to bear in that situation as well, mm-hmm. free it up a little bit, right. you think in a less structured way, you play in a less structured way. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a good drummer, which luckily we have with uh, uh, Stuart Dennison, um, it gives you more scope to kind of break down the rock thing. I mean, sometimes it can be quite rigid when we're playing rock and roll, but then it mm-hmm. breaks down and starts falling apart. I mean, certainly the recent gigs we've been playing uh, with a slightly different lineup, we've got Stuart back in the band and we've got uh, Kevin Lasker, who played with me on the Novatron album. He's kind of joined us on synths, and it's just really great because we're kind of like we 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 we've got the, the structure, the rock structure, and then we can fall apart and then bring it together at any time. So it's kind of still it's still developing, you know, uh, which is you know one of the enjoyable things about playing in the group um and just the input of all the different people you know the four different yeah Yeah, that's right that's right but there's so much history there as well which is one of the things that's really pleasing about it is that you know like me and stuart have been playing together for years on and off obviously we started playing when i first started playing with stuart um It was in Skullflower on the third Gatekeeper album. I mean, that record was the first time we'd actually played together. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) We hadn't actually, I think we met, met briefly before that, but we hadn't actually recorded anything together until we'd done that album. Oh, wow. So, um, that was, you know, it clicked very early on. And obviously we've had an opportunity to work together quite a lot over the years. And I think we've developed to a point where we're still learning stuff, but, there's, um, you know, the, you kind
2: of have, you, you kind of have your thing. It's, yeah, you it, it, it works in that, stru- in that frame,
1: that structure kind of. Yeah, that, that's right. I think, I think we're, um, it, yeah, that's what I saying, really. You just, yeah. get, you just get better at playing with people the you more, have, more you, you go. You have, like, an unspoken
2: language the longer you play with someone. Yeah, you don't a, even have yeah, –
1: yeah, it's just – There is that. Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's kind of it's, – it's, it's probably not quite telepathy. It's kind of more kind of like reading body language or just, you know, a yeah. look or this, that, and the other, and you kind of learn to read it quite well. But, yeah, it's 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 really good the way it's developing. It's still developing as well. So the, the recent gigs we've been playing have been really great.
4: Yeah, but it is so fascinating to, like, talk to somebody who plays music and noise, like doing mm. experimental rock doing experimental structured mm. music and doing experimental unstructured music because they're two very different ways to think mm. and like how often do people do both
1: i think for me i think the thing is again it, it probably comes down to my kind of route into it which is that i um wasn't aware of any scene it was just me listening to music and doing stuff yeah. so i didn't have really any of my peers were really into the same stuff it was literally just me, yeah. Uh, just kind of, just kind of doing stuff. But
4: that's so pure because it's it's mm. it's you kind of guiding your own vision. Like I always thought that was funny. Like when Mike mm. was young, none of his friends liked any of the music he did, mm. so he just kind of developed in this bubble. But I think that that's so probably, cool.
1: Bit, yeah, probably very very much like that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and
4: everybody just takes it for granted. You're like, oh, that's my friend who likes weird stuff. Like, there's always like one who's like the friend. They're like they don't like anything we like.
1: Yeah, but but that's 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 mm. right. I mean, a, a lot of the stuff I think I, I did was. Probably just simply driven by boredom you know i mean you know <laughs> you know when you're a kid you're going to yeah. school and like you know once you've got the schoolwork out of the way it's like you know what else are you going to do so you start reading books start doing this and then then you know if you're people like us yeah yeah you know, um you, you hit record you, you hit record and you yeah. start start recording stuff um and i think that's so my the reason i don't really see the boundaries is probably because i wasn't aware of them in the first place so it's probably out of that kind of um kind of Rather innocent, naive approach at the beginning, and uh, just like
4: this sounds cool, I want to keep doing it. This that, sounds cool. I like what that guy is doing.
1: That's yeah, cool. That's right. That's yeah. right. So it's probably it, it it develops into an advantage because you, if you don't see the boundaries, you're less constrained. Yeah, uh, and you know, I know Gary feels uh, the same way, which is is why we're still doing stuff and why we're we're doing what we're doing now, which is. Now a band that basically has lots of facets to it, which it's is a, kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we always wanted it to be. But yeah. now it's becoming that, I think, or even more, I think, I think it's actually starting to turn into what we wanted it to be. In the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or when you <laughs> yeah. started working. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Was that was, I that, I show, like that,
4: evolution was that show in New
1: York? Um,
2: God, when was that? Was that 2000? It was 2007. So was, so was that had there been much activity leading up to that? Or was that kind of a a return in a
0: way?
1: Well, or? I'm glad you asked me that yeah. question, Mike. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, so, so we... Um, I mean, the, the history, if we're talking talk about roundly, the history is a bit broken up. So we're, we're going back to kind of the reactivation of the, the band kind right. of in the early 2000s. Okay. So we, the band went on a kind of hiatus, unofficial hiatus from like 98 to about 2003. Okay. And we weren't really in touch much during mm-hmm. that time. Um. And we, guess we did different things. I mean, I don't know what like, is working. I guess Gary was working. I did a degree, you know, like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just generally got on with things. And I was doing, working on my own music. but I, um, So around about, I don't know, it was about 2002, I was really wanted to start making rock music again. So I'd been, after I did the Novotron album with, Uh, me and Kevin Lasker, which me and Kevin Lasker did in about 2000, I kind of gravitated more towards electronic music (laughs) and started working on stuff in that vein. Um, But after a couple of years of doing that, I really wanted to play in a band again, you know? And right at the same time, Gary actually got in touch with me and said, oh, look, we're thinking about getting together and you know doing a recording session. Uh, So I thought, great. So we went in there, this was about 2003, and this was me, Gary, Philip... Martin Watts, who was a drummer in Breathless with Gary and the Breathless being a, another band that Gary plays in who you right. might be familiar with. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you can find their stuff on iTunes if you're that way inclined. <laughs> um, and uh, and some other guy on guitar, I think it was some guy Gary worked with or something he kind of brought in. Mm-hmm. So we did a session there and it was, it was good fun. Um, and then Philip ducked out you know he he was playing in white house he didn't have you know the time or inclination to get involved (laughs) so then me gary and martin kind of formed the core of a group and we were kind of playing semi regularly but I wouldn't we're still kind of warming up I think mm-hmm. kind of filling our way into it but we recorded some good stuff
4: were you recording in studios or yeah 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 yeah
1: so, wow. crazy. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we, yeah, we, yeah. I that, love but,
4: the idea of that crew like hanging out in a studio like would you stay there all day like what did were you like were you naughty did you guys
1: drink beer at the studio were you really yeah, professional yeah. naughty
4: were you very naughty. professional like but, but, what's the vibe
1: right by, the, by this point yeah. in 2003 we were very, very good boys in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> if, you if, you wanna, been... if you want to dial back 10 years
2: <laughs> to the early 90s... Some That was a we,
1: little naughty. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the early 90s were a slightly different story. Um, <laughs> we'll probably cover that separately. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, but by 2000, 2003, we're, was... we're, we're, we're far more respectable. You know? Right, well, right. I, mean, I mean, you know, the other guys were, you know, mature gentlemen. I was, yeah. you know... <laughs> Uh, slightly younger than them, as I uh, <laughs> sure, sure try quite, um, quite well behaved, that's, that's it right. sounds like right. Well but I mean we, we were yeah, we were um pretty focused. But yeah, so we we'd hire the studio for a day and go in there and obviously do do what we wanted to do. And um so we we the band regrouped around me, Gary and Martin Watts, mm-hmm. our our drummer, uh who came in at that point. So We were working on rock stuff. The sound we were getting was really, was a straight up rock sound, perhaps more so than it was in the 90s. So we did a track called, some of this you may not have heard, but we did a track called Switch Hitter, which became a single. Okay. Which kind of sounds like Led Zeppelin. It's it's kind of like a slightly warped version of A Whole Lot of Love, basically. I <laughs> know, I don't, just, you don't, I I don't, don't know, know that, John. Yeah, right. yeah. okay. well, I'm yeah.
4: like, now I want
1: to pull it up. You can probably Google it or get it on YouTube. It's, yeah. no, it's not, on, it's not on Spotify or anything like that. It was a vinyl only thing. We were working on a rock sound, but we were really getting off on just playing in a rock band and also just being ramly and kind of playing stuff that was nothing like the stuff we'd done before, which is another thing we like to do in the band. you You know, we're, you know, we're all up for that. But, so we did that for a few years and it was kind of, we were taken it at a slow pace. I mean, it wasn't like a, I wouldn't say it was like a rigorous band life. It was almost more like a, like a gentleman's club, you know,
0: <laughs> it was like me and
1: Gary and Martin would get together in the studio and it was very civilized I mean, it wasn't quite kind of cognac and cigars, but you know, you could kind of imagine that right. maybe, <laughs> you know, it, it was cool. We were doing good stuff, but it mm-hmm. wasn't, we weren't very rigorous about it. Right if I'm honest.
4: And you weren't into champagne yet, so... No, we
1: weren't yeah. no. quite. This, this was before the champagne. This okay. was before Decadence yeah. had really set yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, up. And then, then what happened was it actually happened from an outside influence from the band, really. Mm. And so basically... Uh, Steve Underwood was the instigator oh. of the show. Oh, Steve. Steve Underwood, his the name, instigator. His name, his, I think that's oh, a good oh, name for him, <laughs> just like yeah. the instigator. So his, his, name, his name, will probably come up quite a lot. Oh, oh we, we, we are. Yeah, You know, God bless him and all that. You uh, know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. so 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 basically, um, at that point we were we were kind of recording a rock album mm-hmm. at a fairly slow pace, we all had day jobs so we yeah. you know going in the studio we were doing it you know and uh, coming up with material, writing material, developing really a new band essentially you mm-hmm. know yeah, a new group and um, uh, the opportunity came up to do the show in New York um, and that was what I remember was that was for the 25th anniversary of the band or something like that, wasn't it? That, that I That think was the so score, that was Sounds score right. wasn't it? 92 to 2007. Yeah, yeah. 25, that, or, 25 or, or, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. 25 years. The idea was that the Awake Box set was going to be released <gasps> That's simultaneously. Cr- yeah,
2: I forgot that that was the plan. Yeah, that was the oh, plan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was
1: the plan. Yeah, and it actually came out five years <laughs> after that
3: for the 30th anniversary. I <laughs> forgot that that was the yeah, plan for that if you show. A box of those in your garage, let me know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <wait, yeah, laughs> no, of not
1: um so yeah so we so that that was the, that was the, that was the plan so um and steve eventually got out that hand of glory reissue, didn't? right he? So yeah you must have that out in time but not, yeah. not the away box set so that put us in a position where it was like well we're playing a gig in new york but we're going to play you know we're going to play a pe set mm-hmm. right so we agreed to do it and me and gary were like right this is what we're going to do how are we going to do it so mm-hmm. we worked up a, an approach quickly uh, between us and how we mm-hmm. were going to approach doing the show, I think without that gig being lined up, it's unlikely we would have done that that quickly. We, oh, we really? may have drifted into it eventually, but it kind of forced us into yeah. doing, yeah. into taking a different approach for that one show, which we thought was going to be a one off at that right. stage, right? Or it could have been a one off, you know? right? Um, and it was such a great set.
4: Yeah, well, it, I mean, it, it was, it was, was awesome. Show. The yeah, people it was really demanded hard. more.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, I'll, yeah I remember. <laughs> were, you, were you? I mean, weird, were you? Actually.
4: Were you
2: aware at yeah. that time of the kind of know, resurgence, or you know, at the time two thousand seven, you know, mm. the the hospital store was going. You know, the, you mm. know, no fun. There was a there was this kind of thing happening around that time, that, uh, a, a new kind of wave. Were you guys aware
1: yeah, of that happening? Yeah, we, we, we were aware of it. And I was kind of, um, I have to say, I was not listening to noise at that time. Mm-hmm. I kind of drifted out of noise, and I was listening to stuff that was totally different, as you often do, you know? Yeah, um, a reason I, yeah tons of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I kind of, um, uh, so, I, yeah, I knew stuff was happening, um but I think the the reaction kind of surprised us. Okay, basically. yeah, yeah. You know, because we being used to playing in England, I think that was possibly the first time the band had ever played outside the UK. Mm. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. And I'm talking about going through all the prehistory, you well, know, the early history of the band where I wasn't involved, right. to the kind of '90s years where I was playing with the band. There was sometimes talk of we like going overseas, but it never came off. You know, it never right. happened. And so that's the first overseas show we played. So um and obviously it went how it went i mean I know, you were there absolutely wall to wall packed yeah the, and just the energy was insane yeah i mean it's a great you know it's a great crowd and the the venue changed at the last minute because i think the original place was in red hook it,
0: it was it was the hook which is where right. that's
1: right which is where a lot of the previous no
2: funds had been held where yeah. a bunch of us yeah. play there in, in different bands but i think i, I want to say it was like
1: that day or like it was it was only a few days. Yeah, I think it was it was like the day before. Yeah, like, like yeah, like, yeah, like forty eight yeah. hours. That's right. And I think um it, because Carlos Scafoni I think was involved in sending it out yes it was um, I think you guys brought in the equipment. We,
2: we we had to go. We had to go pick up like some PA stuff from somewhere to reinforce.
1: I'm yeah. someone's BC rich face. hundred percent. I think it yeah. was just
2: we all pulled together. Literally, because yeah. we were on the road at that. I think we had done you know shows to get out to New York, so it was like we were coordinating with everybody. Okay, we're going to come here. We'll pick this up. I mean, it was a true kind of effort. It was a real community effort. So I think... We would
1: just say it takes a village. Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) But but I think that maybe even added to that, the atmosphere in... Because everyone knew what everyone was... And there was people from Europe. There was people from all over the country who came to that show. To to, to be absolutely honest
1: with you, we, we we were surprised, pleasantly surprised, stuff like that. We were very much, you know, working in our own bubble uh, working on a, a new version of the band mm-hmm. that that was um, was different to what came before, but the fact that it kind of forced the issue and we agreed to do it forced us into a different way of working and that set us down a whole mm-hmm. different path yeah. basically yeah yeah and um and that's really obviously made, made the last ten years a lot more you know a lot more interesting for the yeah, yeah yeah and, and so, yeah you know, you know, you, for all the obvious reasons so yeah. we um so a lot of stuff kept basically followed on the back of doing that show, because it st- we we found, we, first of all, it worked, we enjoyed doing it, and it was kind of similar. We'd both done noise, like pure noise, drumless, non-rock noise, separately before. Right. This was the kind of first time we'd done it together. I mm-hmm. guess, you know, some of the stuff we did with Ramley, and maybe some of the stuff we did with Skullflower, is kind of like on the edge of kind of between what you'd call rock music and noise yeah totally yeah because it's kind of semi-formless yeah. but yeah. just doing something that's purely without drums and it's just you know you're working with a different dynamic you know different dynamic and different timing and structure
2: when did you hook up with uh, the CEO of Kendritic oh, Sound exactly. to work out a oh. deal rough uh, a, 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 a uh, CEO <laughs> to work out that lucrative deal for that that, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> vinyl long player that came out <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Got you all that champagne, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. coming, cases and cases. Yeah. They brought you that cases and cases. Yeah.
1: Champ- no, but uh, really, when did you when when did you guys hook up? When well, did you hook up well, with Gray? Well, um, yeah. So fast forwarding a bit, I suppose. So anyway, the two stories are linked a bit. So basically, Gray kindly put out an album called um, a JFK album called In Ganger. So that album uh, kind of was a bit of a bridge between a few different projects. So um, I started working on a lot of new material for various projects around about sort of 2010. So some of that material was for the Novatron follow-up, <clears throat> which we are just about to release, actually. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, and yeah. Cold Spring? Or, or? A guy in New York is going to be releasing it. He runs a label. Um, um, so he's lined up to do it. So oh, we, cool. we finished huh? it. We have mixed it and stuff. Uh, so that's coming out under a different name. Um, but I just started recording at home again. So basically, by this point, I kind of like switched the laptop, got some new gear, load of VSTs, and I was just experimenting, doing stuff. So one of the projects I was working on was a follow-up to Novatron. Me and Kevin were collaborating on that, and I was doing stuff on my own. Um, wanted to do a new JFK. I was thinking about a new ethnic acid as well. I was thinking about reheating <laughs> ethnic acid and doing something new there. So I was kind of experimenting with stuff. And when when I'm working on stuff, you kind of generate sounds, and you know, you pick out your favourite bits. And for so, if you've got different projects like I do, certain sounds and songs gravitate towards certain mm-hmm. projects. Mm-hmm. But it started developing over time. So some of the the stuff that I was working on for the new Novatron album started to become JFK. As I was working on that, I started working more with electronic rhythms and getting more in, I've always had an interest in electronic rhythms and drum drum machines. It's it's on the early material. And I, I started getting back into the idea of using rhythm again. I guess I was inspired by some of the stuff I was listening to, but also I've always been, you know always been a bit of a techno head, so I've always listened to techno, you know, throughout the nineties and then moving to the drum and bass and stuff like that. So I'd always wanted to bring that in. But I, I kind of have the tools now to do that. So the album I worked up for greater release was kind of like a mixture of guitar drone and kind of the electronic rhythmic aspects. Yeah. It's sick, right? I agree. It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it was, I was kind of happy with it. And, uh, you know, I am happy with the album. I think it works really well as a record. But then with the last time I did as JFK, I kind of decided to delineate the two, to basically move, strip away the guitar noise, which is a big part of, like, my sound, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of, you know, all, all the projects I've done, like Axe and Overtron and everything else, mm-hmm. as well as the Skull Flare and the stop stuff, guitar noise and feedback, you mm-hmm. know stripping that out and just moving purely into electronics uh with the last album weapon design and that has worked really well for me because basically purely from a production point of view you strip out all the bass and guitar noise you've got a massive load of space in the mid-range to play with and you can have a lot of fun in that space it's an obvious lesson that i mean everyone knows that but basically when you're used to working with certain styles sometimes you have to yeah. Take stuff out and then, and then, and then you, know, uh, you know, change the approach. So JFK, after the Enganga album, JFK's turned into a purely electronic uh, 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 project. And the, the kind of guitar distortion, the bass distortion stuff has kind of worked itself into the um, follow-up to novatron cool. which is a, a different thing which will be be announced shortly hopefully cool. that's exciting well. yeah which is you know it it's me and kevin working together it's not it it's it's not like the old novatron that, mm-hmm. that that's that, that's got a different sound it, it's but you'll probably if you if you're into my stuff you'll probably hear the, the similarities um and uh yes, yeah, so that's kind of the story Is that
2: actually a question. I mean I
3: think <laughs> it's answering a lot of questions. I think the answer to Conley's question is yeah. uh, how we how we met and oh, started like, working on yeah, stuff yeah. together was uh before actually before the LA shows were even really underway, uh Christian Stadsgard had said yeah, that yeah, cool, Anthony sure. DeFranco has got this new record and I think it would be send it over to me, I think it'd be really good for Chondritic. Oh cool. Uh, mm. and so we got intro that way and then it just so happened that Ramla was going to come play Los Angeles like a few yeah, months right, later, yeah. yeah. Of course, and so we got to meet and talk about it in mm-hmm. person and play a show together, and I got to see him play largely the material for that album live, also, oh, which, oh. Uh, which just really cemented it. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah that's So sick.
1: Cool. So yeah, so it was it was it was great great to get that one out, um, and yeah, but it was as I said, it kind of caught me in a transitionary period where I've been working a lot of stuff at home. You know, and you get into it, you get enthusiastic about it, and again, the projects start kind of emerging out of this, yeah. this, this thing. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a good, yeah, it was a good period of working. And uh, so the the project's kind of developing, is still developing. It's gone in a more JFK's in a more electronic direction. Was that the set last night? Yeah, so the set last we, we, night... We were in the air when you were playing. So we, we weren't at the show last night. Tara, and we're flying Oh, you're flying Yes, we weren't at the show last night. Yeah, no worries. I mean, yeah, so basically last night I'm recording a new album. So there's a few tracks from the new album, a couple from the last one. But yeah, I'm kind of, yeah again, it, it's, it's a similar approach. Yeah. I'm sure it'll expand a bit as I go forwards, but um, certainly with JFK, I'm, yeah, I'm stripping out the guitars... Um, because you know, as I said, it, it just it it just makes it more interesting for me to have that set that limitation. Mm-hmm. You know, from a production point of view, kind like of
0: push
1: it. yourself, challenge it. That's right. there'll be guitars
3: in it again too. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Or, it, <laughs> like,
2: yeah. setting the limitations can be great, and then breaking those limitations. Yeah, you know, yeah, what yeah mean? that's like, right.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. It goes, But of course, I mean, there's uh, when we played with Ramley as a, as a two piece. It's very guitar distortion heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, really the 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 kind of the power electronics version of Ramley is kind of like a noise rock band without the drums yeah which is kind of what it what it's been since the beginning of them anyways because uh even the early Ramley stuff uses bass guitars and things like that Mm -hmm. so there's always been a you know a kind of rock sensibility
2: that's always something i thought stood out about Ramley is that is the and, and again when we mm. saw you guys you know it's like power electronics with instruments you know what i mean it's like it's yeah. what an interesting you know what an mm-hmm. interesting take on
0: on the whole thing you know? yeah,
1: that's right Yeah. So i think um yeah there's always a rock angle to ramley Yeah, you know it's it's never i think been a uh, necessarily a purely electronic project and certainly when we play live it's it's a you know we we generate a wall of noise using guitars synths vocals can it be power instruments <laughs> yeah. it can be. just power
4: instruments it, it
1: can, it can be. I mean, we're not too precious about the um, the nomenclature you know, yeah, exactly about, about the genre naming stuff yeah. like that we, we just kind of it's kind of our style but we do we when we play i think as a two-piece um it is very much like we treat it like a rock show you know we have like amps on stage big amps pushing out the sound and you know it's kind of like a controlled chaos mm. kind of like playing with a rock band do you have a favorite drums. amp Sorry. favorite
4: a favorite amp like amp stack um
1: amp pegs are always pretty good i mean i just mm. use whatever's whatever there, there. Oh, and yeah. if i see a big amp peg i generally think yeah that that'll that, that'll do me all right whatever goes <laughs> to 10 so yeah, <laughs> the sound of like, yeah. Ramlo
3: to me has always sort of been uh amplifiers that it, especially the like you know the 80s stuff where yeah. it sounds like it's recorded with a microphone in a room and we, we've talked about this on the yeah, show yeah, but that yeah. that live sound of like that you only get you only get some of those tones from having a speaker over there playing mm. something loud at you and recording it mm. in the room not you know you can't do it with the direct into the four track sound you do yeah. really get a different sound just airy, amp and really, like yeah, yeah. it was, it, it changes a, the pressure of the of the sound a certain way. It's interesting you should say that, Gray. Oh, uh, huh. a,
1: a little segue. Do tell. So, so um, oh, we
4: have a new segue, Captain. Segue, yes. Captain. Yeah. <laughs> I I totally I take that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that. But you
2: know, what? Uh, you're the yeah, segue captain. You're going to be way <laughs> smoother than yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <before>. <laughs> um,
1: but um, so so yeah. So when we we were talking about the show we played in 2007. So once we've done that. On the back of that, we got a commission to... Do, we we were working on a rock album. So we mm-hmm. were still working as a rock band, recording stuff for what became the Circular Time album. Okay. And we were writing recording material for that. But then on the back of the show in uh, 2007, we played another couple of shows in the same lineup, me and Gary doing the doing the same mm-hmm. set or a similar set. We got a commission to do an album in that style, which we was released in more exactly 10 years ago it's called valediction Mm -hmm, absolutely so um the approach we took with that is we were going to record it as a our version of power electronics but record it like a rock album so just to your point about the amps and stuff yeah made a conscious decision that what we wanted to do was record it all through amps have mics all over the place and get that kind of that kind of feel which was kind of not quite what PE was at the time. So if you heard PE at the time, it was far much more drier, DI'd, kind of purely electronic. So I guess we were kind of trying to do something in our own style, um, but again, taking that rock approach. Yeah. You know, like the Led Zeppelin approach of like having amps all over the place, mics, mm-hmm. I think the various that's part of what and stuff like made that. Made
3: the early PE and, and people working in studios like White House going to a studio, Ramla going to a studio for for other records mm-hmm. is. The uh, the practice of micing amps, like that's mm. – I think that's a –
4: Like the sound actually got to be free and move around before you capture it. It's a thing people who home yeah. record
3: don't often get to do because they can't be loud in their homes. They can't do loud mm. vocals or have blasting feedback, you know, mm. if you have neighbors. And so that's I think that really lends a lot to the quality of sort of the – a lot of the 80s P stuff that was recorded in studios and going back to that style where like now everything is, yeah, a synth plugged into a, yeah. you know, a recording device. Which and can sound that's great, it. of course. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah, it can yeah. sound fantastic, but sometimes you need to take it out and have it played through something to really get that feel. You get natural yeah. reverb, you get a sense of space and distance that you you. The, just the the slight tones created, you yeah. just can't get those. I, in I, direct.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I mean, ultimately, these these things are all tools. You know, tools we we use when we're making music. You know, um, but uh, but yeah, you know, as, as as an approach, it's one we wanted to take with that record. Absolutely. So so we recorded that album, and then on the back of that, we started. We made a conscious decision that we were going to play as well as working on the rock album in parallel and occasionally playing rock shows. We were going to go out and play two-piece shows, mm-hmm. you know, to partly to promote the record, yeah, and also because, I suppose, on a practical level, going out and playing as a two-piece is more practical than the drum around. Yeah, I've been very lucky with drummers. I mean, um, I mean, Stuart's mm-hmm. great, obviously. So yeah, the two-piece version of the band, um, we we've over the last 10 years we've, you know, we've been playing a lot of live shows in the two piece and we've developed a sort of different way of working in parallel with working with the rock band mm. and I think the two things kind of work together in a sense that um, we work as a two piece we have to work take a different approach in order to create an exciting show and then that's encouraged us I think to take a different approach with the rock band to deconstruct it a bit more because it gives you a bit of confidence when you're doing that, mm-hmm. so uh, it kind of feels at the point now where we're starting to see a bit of a payoff from that. One of the great things about the group is that we can like really throw in ideas. So like me and Gary kind of write lyrics, we kind of throw in songs, we get ideas and we work them up, and it's. Um, It's a really great band to play in, to be absolutely honest. It's very collaborative, it sounds like. I mean you guys every yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I mean it has to be because you you know, uh, to be honest, I don't think one person on their own could carry it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah it's really cool sorry I was going okay no, was, so, uh, gonna, do you I, have any about it. oh because I like it, it. I, like I like it, it. you should you should, should be proud I like like, yeah. we're all
4: proud of you yeah. and, <laughs> and your body of work <laughs> like you. truly yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: absolutely yeah. And, and it's it's exciting to be able to it's really cool thank you for coming here to talk mm-hmm. to us yeah. talk, to look back on some of that stuff it's so exciting for
1: us I can keep going if you want I mean oh I'm yeah yeah I kind of wanted
4: to know if you had any like do you have any other like obsessions that you like to think about other than the the switch hitters on and planes. <laughs> and any which, other fun fun things that you like to noodle on,
2: which uh, your with some of your current obsessions, I guess this is a family but, show, right? Yeah, yeah,
4: no, <laughs> not, no. <laughs> yeah. absolutely not not. Yeah. No, I don't no, think no. so. Not that we're, we're
1: aware. There's some cats that listen. <laughs> no one told
3: me this is a family show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just like to keep myself entertained by thinking about stuff and i'm kind of mm-hmm. always thinking about stuff i think a lot of it's just driven by boredom i mean um you know same as it was when i started doing this and i was a kid you know it's kind of like to just, just, just get bored and so you you kind of entertain yourself thinking about hypothetical stuff i guess you know yeah. um, uh, well i think whatever, I- you know
2: I kind of think like you were saying like how you were influenced by the like the 2001 soundtrack right. and the way that you as a teenager took that sound and yeah. put it in your teenage brain and it got and you were thinking about these things and this thing and this thing and then it came out yeah. i love that but i think yes i think anyone can relate to that just it's this a-
1: weird way that we take the information in yeah gotcha i mean i think yeah i think that that, that kind of yeah, going back to that, you think about the Ligerti thing and the whole science fiction thing. So, yeah. listening to Ligerti, what I what I loved about that was it kind of sounded like space. So, at the time, it was kind of like you know you you know when you're a kid, you buy books about space, mm-hmm. and you see the pictures, and you kind of get an idea about how big and scary it is, and you know endless and all that sort of stuff. Really, fant- really cool, you know. Awesome. But I think when I heard Ligerti, I thought, "Fuck, this really sounds like it," you know. Because right. it it's, it it doesn't there's 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 not really a moral compass to the music. It's just kind of exists in the yeah. same way like a mountain exists or you know the stars exist. You know, it's just there, you know? Um and there's certain types of music and art that kind of communicate that. I think Rol uh, is very good, Roland Cain's another one is very good. It just yeah. sounds like a geological process that you're witnessing.
4: Yeah. but it would it would happen
1: whether or not you were looking at it. It's or not. like creativity right. and
4: destruction, not through good or bad, but just just because it, it, in its nature of existence is that
1: it's just there. It's, yeah. it's you know it's a, a moral, if you like, mm-hmm. you know. So so it's kind of just there and exists. I think one of the things I like in art and music is something that's kind of um, kind of monolithic and doesn't necessarily permit a dialogue. You know, I like I, I like one of the things I like. I'm not knocking the other stuff, but I mean one of the things that I particularly enjoy is stuff that is just there and it just demands to be listened to and it's, you know, and you just have to kind of surrender to a certain extent and just get taken over by it. Mm. I think that's probably one of the things I try to achieve in the music, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying to create like the, you know, the monolith in 2001, you know, yeah, that type of of thing, you know, you're trying to create something that, you know, uh, it just exists for its own
3: sake. Um, it's funny you mentioned uh, Zanakis. Uh, like when I first moved to Los Angeles, there mm-hmm. was uh, an exhibit of his works at the Pacific Design Center, Moca Station, and it covered all of the stuff from like the the U Pick scoring mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Persepolis and his work with Le Corbusier, Le Corbusier mm-hmm. and architecture design, and they had his scores for some of uh, his pieces there, yeah. and he scored things in this uh, like graph paper. Uh, in colored squares for like th- different instruments and different mm. moods and, and things he would try to evoke throughout it. And there were that yeah. st- between that and the U pick, seeing the way that he would write music and attempt to convey these things was like, it's one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen. I, yeah, I think I like you. there are some of the scores and stuff, maybe, you know, printed in some of the records, but mm. if you ever get a chance to see any of his <laughs> stuff mm. exhibited, they, they had uh, like video of some performances. So he, he was like one of the earliest people to use, uh, like a sort of laser lights as mm-hmm. an installation thing to do, to set up a whole piece. Thank um, you. Laser lights. And that was, it was so fun. he. fun. It was really, it was super, super inspiring, but I, I like the idea of thinking of, of these things okay. as monolithic or like, uh, <clears throat> yeah. I think it's Persepolis where like part of it, uh, that it's supposed to accompany is like uh, people uh, walking down, walking down the mountain, right with uh, with torches, and yeah. there's there's footage of that being being performed. It was,
1: it was, with in, that. It was in Iran, wasn't it? The
3: the show of Iran. Seeing that is just it's it's so amazing the way like he thought yeah. about space and light and sound to include mm-hmm. like he worked with architecture and he worked with yeah. these pieces that would use light or torches originally up to like lasers and yeah. the the really sort of completely unique way of, of scoring pieces yeah. uh, to make sort of these monolithic or really like huge feeling yeah. works that have this sort of looming uh, presence uh, over you.
1: I, I, kind of, I kind of feel that. I mean, I think, you know, I think that's probably, you know, part of what I try and do in my solo stuff is kind of, you know, you know, again, it sounds really corny, but you kind of think about the feeling you get when you walk into a cathedral or something like that, that kind of shock and awe type feeling, you know, mm. that that's one of the things I like in art and probably one of the things I like to try and, get across in the music you know it, it sound big and stuff like that but um hopefully you know i achieve that sometimes but um um fuck, what was i saying lost my train of thought again <laughs> but, but you know
4: maybe it's not because it's it's trying to capture the ineffable, like things yeah. that you can't describe with words, and so, like, once yeah. you're trying to to capture that, like, yeah. like the making that description, it's really it's tenuous.
1: Thanks, you've you've reminded me of where we were where we started <laughs> off with it. So, so with the legacy stuff, it was kind of like again, I just, you know, when you're reading science fiction, you want to listen to music that kind of kind of backs that up. Mm-hmm. So, the two kind of went hand in hand, and I was kind of you know getting science fiction books. The sounds I was imagining in my head were kind of influenced, I think, by the stuff I was reading, and not just science fiction, but just kind of, you know, from science fiction you then get into like you know horror stuff, fantasy yeah. stuff. Then it's a short skipping a jump stuff like J.G. Ballard, you know, William Burroughs, you know, all that, all that, all that kind of stuff, and you get into something that's a bit more kind of like sci-fi realism, kind of like disjointed reality dystopian type visions which kind of leads me to kind of a lot of the stuff we, uh, we've been doing recently uh, particularly the new Ramley album which is kind of like um you possibly haven't heard but i've sent you i've sent you a link to download I did, it today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I once you've heard it you can let me know what you think but <laughs> I, I, yeah kind of, I, I think that's that's kind of one of the been one of the constants, really. It's kind of like um, uh, I was trying to think of dystopian darkness. The, the, future. That, that's, one, that's, yeah. that's That's one of the things that kind of you know, you know, uh, you know, one can get uh, obsessed about or think about, you know, mm-hmm. and imagining, you know, kind of like the uh, modest proposal type situations, you know, and thinking, you know, what about this and what about that and what would happen if that happened, you know, um, and just kind of come up with imaginary stories, I guess.
4: When um, you were so, talking, I was going to say I, I had one in my head when yeah. you were talking about using studio space. Okay. Oh, yeah. So if when you're making like amplified amplifiers, yeah. uh, then that's actually physically making a sound and the sound waves are entering the room hmm. and they're they're moving all around you. And so you've definitely made a sound. Yeah. Okay. So if you're just doing a DI from an instrument into a bank, does it actually make a sound? Because you're not. It's It's just firing electronics and that's never making the sound it's actually the machine pulsing it back out so yes unless you're amping unless you're micing the amps or using an instrument maybe you aren't actually making a sound it's just the machines making the sound for you which is so sci-fi
1: whoa <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. everyone's minds just got yeah. blown. So it goes from yeah. electronic signal to yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So the the electronic. So you're never are truly
4: it, making um any vibrations in the air, which is no. what we perceive as sound.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. we have ears. We yeah, gotta, yeah. gotta
4: get it in there somehow.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, maybe yeah. that's
4: why it sounds so good when you record in those studios.
1: Yeah, it, it probably, probably is. It's a
2: really philosophical thing now
1: that have to no, think no, about. That's more... right. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think one of the, one of the things that, that's good about the electronics I and mean, that slight like disassociation you get, so it kind of feels like it's kind of extra human in a way. It's like yeah. a, it's like an, you know, it's like yeah, you know, it's, it's like an, you know, like the kind of biomechanoid type type thing you know it's Um, taken its
4: own form yeah Yeah. that's right
1: that's right so something slightly outside of yourself but it's kind of talking to you in a way it's quite it's quite an uncanny type um type experience which is one of the things i like about really cold electronic music Mm -hmm. it's got that semi-human like do you ever
4: see your different senses having like different personalities
1: yeah, I think so. I think sure, yeah, Gray would definitely agree. You, <laughs> yeah. get, you get a different relationship
3: with, with yeah. you know with, with each other. Oh, that's very, very true. Um, you got any favourite since? I mean, I think anyone who's heard any music I've made the last uh, almost twenty years knows that the Korg MS20 is mm. is easily my favorite synthesizer ever made. I think it's those a, just corks, a beautiful, those beautiful corks thing, are just unbelievable, yeah. aren't they? Uh, but I really like the Roland SH101. I got uh, yeah. I got an EDP Wasp a few years ago. <laughs> well, uh, Behringer are going to do a remake, aren't they? Yeah, mm. like a two 200- hundred. Two hundred buck. you it Used to cost basically. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that is one Behringer we'll get. I yeah, think, I actually the, just bought well. their Model D. uh clone And it sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I bet it does. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, did you get the? Because you get the desktop one, or did you get the one desktop? Of the table? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. don't need. I got. I got the MIDI. You know, yeah, cool. MIDI yeah, controller. Yeah. I don't need yeah. the yeah. thing.
2: Yeah. You said you had a couple of records coming out. Is there anything set
1: that you can announce right now, or just kind of keep in touch? The new double A side, roundly single called "It's Never All Right" and "Curb Crawler." and it's very very different from what you might expect ramley to do if you've heard it you'll know what i mean
2: oh i have not heard it and that's 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 enticing enough so i'm sure everyone's going to be on yeah, it it's, it's
1: one of the shortest songs we've done is only two and a half minutes cool wow. and uh yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's out now, awesome.
2: or that's that's coming
3: out. Uh, that that's out now. I think it's in the in the shops. can download it and stuff. Great, yeah. and uh, you can also grab a uh, weapon design from Fourth Dimension as well uh, while you're at it.
1: Yes, that's all cool. vinyl and CD. Cool, and um, yeah, that's about it.
4: You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over seventeen years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com noiseextra noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.